don't talk too much. Just talk a little bit. You don't eat much, you don't talk much. <laughs> I'm just listening. This is the Just Listening Podcast with pizza artist Eric John. everybody and welcome to the show today. This is Just Listening and I am Eric John. And before we get into it, of course, I have to tell you about the absolute best artisan soda in the entire world. Of course, that's Yacht Club Soda. Go to YachtClubSoda.com right now and check out all the amazing flavors they've got. They've got blue raspberry cream, orange cream. They have a great dry aged pale ginger ale. Uh, that'll just knock your socks off. It's fantastic. You've got to try this stuff. They use real cane sugar, none of that synthetic crap, and uh, they come in these beautiful glass bottles. You won't be disappointed. So go to yachtclubsoda.com right now and place an order. John Scambato will send you whatever you want, wherever you live, as long as you live within the United States of America. So please go to yachtclubsoda.com right now and order some of this fantastic soda for yourself. Uh, also, as I've been saying, I've got lots of pizza art coming out regularly now, um, and I'm really looking forward to dropping my very first uh, NFT, uh, one of one of one NFTs since August of 2022. So it's been about 18 months. Um, very excited to drop this next series, which is called the Pizza Pizzafied uh, series. Uh, it's a bunch of one pan portraits that I've been making uh, over the last 18 months, and uh, and and only the best of the best will be minted. Uh, I'm going to be doing a really fun drop on National Pizza Day, uh, which is February 9th, uh, 2024. And I'm going to be doing that in conjunction with uh, the Pizza Dow. Uh, that's uh, Snackman's uh, outfit uh, who I had on the show recently. And uh, I'm going to be donating a portion of the uh, sale to uh, to the Pizza Dow, which helps uh, small businesses and pizza shops all over the world. They throw amazing pizza parties. It's a really, really great organization. So look out for that. All right, on the show today, I'm very, very uh, excited to have this guy on. I've been having a lot of artists on uh, recently, uh, especially in the NFT world. Um, and I don't know if this guy is into NFTs or not. I have no idea. Uh, his name is Igor Chakal, and he's the uh, lead uh, artist for the Ripperverse. That's Eric July's uh, comic book company. Um, he just came out. I think they just did crowdfunding for, I think it was Isom 1 and 2. Uh, they've been having a lot of success, and uh, I love the way it looks. Um, and I'm uh, very interested in the comic industry and I, I, I love comic animation. So I'm super psyched to talk to Igor about it and, uh, should be a fun conversation. So without further ado, Igor, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you decided to join me. Um, I was saying in the intro that I, uh, that I just did that I've had a lot of artists on the show. Um, a lot of people involved with NFT and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, I've been very, I'm very interested in the world of comics and, um, you know, I was, I was a huge fan of comic books, especially as a kid. Uh, so I find it really interesting that you're sort of in that world. So I, I guess the first question I have for you is, have you always been a big fan of comic books? Like even before you, uh, you know, were an artist yourself, like, has that always been something that you've been drawn to? Yeah, I would say so. Uh, I think like pretty much everyone like the does drawing uh in one way or another uh likes like uh either animation or comic book uh during their their childhood like when i was six i remember like reading so so many comic books like it's crazy because every time like that i, I would do something right my mom would give me one 
of like Captain America or like uh, I don't know how you call that uh, Ducktales. I think that's the name in English because I'm Brazilian, so I should profess by Ducktales is right. That. Yeah, Ducktales is yeah, a DuckTales, very popular yeah. cartoon uh, show here yeah. uh, on, uh, yeah. on the Disney. Channel. I remember reading like comic books like that, Mickey Mouse, all that stuff. Like, and I was always fascinated. Uh, and I was always drawing them. I was always telling stories with drawings. Like my, my dad would give me, my, my dad's a salesman. So he would give me like some paper books with uh, client info. And on the back was clear, like a clear paper. And I would draw like small comic books, like Spider-Man comic books uh, on each page of panel or something like that. So I was always drawing like, uh, and comics was always a big part for me. Like I know a lot of illustrators and artists that went into it because of video games, but for me it was always comics. Like I, since I was a child. Was your family very supportive of your interest in in being an artist and in and in comic books? Yeah, actually it was like it's surprising. Like uh, some people are always surprised by that answer because I came for a very like humble family and in brazil like wanting to be an artist is kind of a death sentence for most people especially when i was young like i'm 33 now so now it's better because of the internet and everything but when i was young it was like a crazy idea especially if you were on the countryside because i'm i come from a small town in brazil like uh, for brazil at least like 130,000 people like we don't have a university we don't have like big courses or anything that you could take especially art courses so it was kind of crazy to want that but my parents were always supportive and they knew that i was like in love with drawing that was all that i wanted to do uh, so they supported me when i moved to a bigger city in brazil called sao paulo to when i was 18 to go to university because i got accepted by the largest university in brazil to take uh, visual arts course back then was fine arts now it's called visual arts and uh, I got accepted in there and I started studying and they were always supportive like more than they should <laughs> sometimes they should like may maybe pull back a little bit but th they were always supportive I didn't have any resistance they always believed in me uh, even when I didn't so I, I can't thank them enough for that like I'm glad uh, that I could offer some something in return for them now that I'm older, but they were always like crazy supportive. They always believed that I would do something with that. Like it was crazy. I can't even believe that myself, actually. <laughs> Did you have any teachers that were really supportive as as well? Um, when I was really young, I I remember a teacher but because I hated uh, art classes. I don't know if it was like that for you or and for other people that you've had, but I, I hated like the school classes. Like I went to public school in Brazil and the art classes were like dreadful because I always wanted to draw my stuff. I didn't want to make the stuff that they were proposing uh, as part of tasks and classes and stuff like that. And uh, I was always like just drawing my own stuff. I almost failed. When I was like 13 or 14, uh, I remember that was the only class that I almost failed was art and uh, crafts and art it was called. And uh, but but uh, I had a history teacher when I was 14 that suggested that I maybe go into art 
because I, I thought about going to med school because my grades were kind of nice when I was younger. And uh, but but then like when she, she first suggested like that I'd looked into art school or maybe illustration or something like that, then it kind of clicked something in my head and I was like, oh, really, you could could do that as like a, a career. And then I never stopped thinking about it. And when I was 18, I decided to move to another city to pursue that. And yeah, that, that was basically it. Uh, she, her name was, is uh, Gloria, which is a kind of glory in Portuguese. And she, she's, I don't know where she is right now, but like she was the first teacher that ever like supported that idea. And she wasn't even an art teacher. What what is it about the comic book style that's so unique? Like, what makes it? Because it, it, it's a very unique style. It's very it's very particular. Yeah. What what is it about that style that makes it the way it is? Like, how do you approach it? Um, I think for me, it's like uh, it's it's a stylized no matter what. If you take like realistic art styles, like a comic book is almost never close to that style so i think that's the first thing it's always a, a stylized version of reality and i think it's mostly more more than the art itself like the visual part it's about the story so it's always going to be um some enhanced version of reality telling a story that maybe wouldn't fit on the big screen we see that time and time again when comics are adapted to the big screen and the instant we see that we think oh that's fake that's not what's being portrayed and when you're reading a comic book you don't care about that stuff right because it's it's the different medium as as much as they are related to one another cinema and comics they are still far apart in that sense that you're pulled into a story and you're reading it as if it were like uh, like something that's really happening and I think visually, it's always that like it's an enhanced version of reality. The line work, the 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 moment you see like black and white lines and balloons and people talking like uh, with text and everything comes together. I think it's natural to human beings. That's why children love it so much uh, to read stuff like that and imagine that's taking place in a different world that's not our own. Like that there is a it's reality, but it's also enhanced at the same time. It's like augmented to to a certain degree. I think that's what's that's the pull of comic books. It's it's as much as you want to tell a real story, you're also telling like a, it's like one step away from reality, it's like a dream or something like that. I don't know how to explain that properly, but it's like a different w version of our, our own world, I would say, or something something like that. I think that's the pull of comic books, like the bold lines and everything. That's second. The first the first thing is like the the approach to telling a story and reality itself. I don't know if that's a good no, answer. No, that's, that's, that's a great that answer. <laughs> and I'm really curious to hear who, who are some of the comic book artists who you really like, who are big influences on you? Right. That's a good question. Because that changes, I think. Especially if you're if you're like professionally working, I think that changes a lot. When when I when I first started, I was a big fan. I'm still I still am, but I was a big fan of uh, Steve McNiven. He's a Canadian artist. He drew 
Nemesis, Civil War for Marvel. He, he has done a lot of work for Marvel, especially uh, Wolverine stories like Old Man Logan. That's his work. Uh, I was a big fan of his. Like He has like a kind of heavy line work uh, style with a lot of uh, hatches and like in it's really small line works, broken lines and stuff like that. And I really love that. And also David Finch, who worked for Image and DC, uh, DC Comics. I, I was a big fan of those. And then the Japanese uh, front, uh, I, was, I was a big fan of Kentaro Miura, who passed away a couple of years ago. He did Berserk. And I'm, I'm a big fan of his style. So it's always like greedy, dirty uh comics but then when i got older and i got into the business i started liking more stylized versions of uh artists recently i took a liking to jorge jimenez i think that's how you pronounce his name because his spanish descent uh he did the last nemesis reloaded uh version with mark millar and uh he also drew batman more more recently i'm a big fan of his like shape language and everything so those are the comic book artists that i think uh influenced me the most like david finch steve McNeven, jorge jimenez if you if you ever see like a comic book by them even if the story is not the, that good the, like the artwork is gonna be amazing i can i can assure you those are like my biggest influences a lot has been made, I think, of, um, you know, the 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 comic book world and how the stories have kind of fallen apart a bit. And um, a lot of people I respect have been very critical of it. Do you feel the same way about the art nowadays with comics, especially in the big companies like Marvel and DC? Has the art also, do you feel, has kind of fallen off in terms of quality? I think some I, I don't like to take a, a jab at the artwork because I think that the artists are always improving and there is always like great names. But I feel like uh, the editors are kind of dropping the ball sometimes. I don't know if it's like time constraints because it is uh, the comic the comic book world, much like the animation world, it's one of like time constraints. So you're always like behind schedule. You're always like fighting a deadline. So you always have to deliver something, and uh, that that can put a toll on the quality of the artwork. I think most of the criticism that comes uh, the way of comics nowadays is related to scripts more than anything, because I think the artists are always improving. And uh, granted, we we got some uh, poor artists or who who isn't doing like a great job or shouldn't be at such a higher position, maybe drawing for Marvel, DC. I've seen some panels around. We all have seen, right? Like people take like photos of. Uh, panels where the face doesn't look quite so right or well drawn or maybe <laughs> I've seen some anatomy mistakes we all do those uh, from time to time but uh, yeah I think some editors have to go in there and maybe ask for a change I know artists are resistant to that like I everyone hates when you have to redraw something but sometimes things look like a bit wonky and it's okay to, to go back and change those. I think it's a combination of factors that uh, there's a lot a lot of people involved into comics. And I feel like that that's one of the problems. 
there is a colors, there is an inker, there is a penciler, there, there are editors and writers. So I think like there is there is some ego battle that goes into that where the end result isn't so pleasing. But I think it's mostly related to the scripts. I don't think people take uh, so much so many so much issue with uh, the artwork itself. I think the artist got a pass because it's always uh, stressful to draw comics. You're always behind schedule, uh, and I think they're always improving. But we love to draw. It's 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 normal to fail now and then. But I think in terms of like the big two, the biggest problem is probably the scripts. Recently, I would say, I'm taking I I'm taking <laughs> I stance where I defend the artist because I'm an artist myself. <laughs> so I'm putting well, the blame I, you know, I think the, that makes the, I think that right. makes sense, Igor. And I you know, and I've seen that a lot being in the NFT space and being an artist myself. You know, artists do tend to stand up for other artists regardless of the yeah. situation. And you know, one of the really big hot top and uh, hot button topics right now is uh, is the advent and the uh, um, sort of uh, insurgence of artificial intelligence. So I'm I'm really mm-hmm. curious um, as an artist, especially a comic book artist, what what is your take on AI and how it's being used or how it might be used in the future? I that that's an interesting uh, point. I think AI is like uh, it's it's a tool more than anything. It's not a tool that I think I'm gonna adapt into my work because I'm very uh, resistant when when it comes to changing my workflow. It's always like small increments. I'm always trying because I started traditionally because I didn't have a computer to work uh, that was able to like uh, work with Photoshop. I didn't have a tablet back then. Now I work fully digital, but it took me like 10 years to make that the, that transition. And I'm always longing for the days where I was just penciling, inking traditionally. So I always want to go back to that. Uh, but then... I, I don't know. I I think it's a tool. Someone out there is gonna use it for greatness, but I think there's always the problem of like when it comes to hello, oh, my computer just crashed. When it comes when it comes to oh, I'm, I can I can still hear you. You're fine. I can yeah, hear you. that's totally okay. fine. It's just uh, the the screen went black. And I got scared. <laughs> it's, it went to sleep for a second. That, that's that's the problem with digital stuff as well. Like traditional, it's never gonna happen. <laughs> I know it. I, yeah, I, uh, I learned quickly. <laughs> I learned quickly that I had to turn the um the sleep timer completely off when I when I do these podcasts because yeah. that would happen all the time. <laughs> so that's a problem with like digital art that there is always like a. Uh, an extra person involved that's not a person really is a computer so you're never sure how things are going to come out but i think in terms of ai i've seen some stuff that looks incredible but then you look closely and there's like an aspect missing of like humanity and it's never going to innovate right it's always going to take from what people are doing so the the innovation is always going to come from from humans i think especially when it comes to art because uh it's us that tell like uh we're telling the the story especially in comics actually we're telling the story and the style relates to the comic that it's telling the story so when you see like manga for instance like japanese art they manage to have like emotional moments or horror moments with stylized and cartoony styles. So that's a contrast that 
only humans can produce in a nice way. Like when you read Junjin Ito, for instance, you're really reading something that no machine can ever reproduce, I don't think. Because it's not only about the drawing, but how the drawing relates to the story. So I think comics is probably the safest area when it comes to AI, because the ideas and story are always going to be human. And when you see the stories that AI is able to tell, it's never something like uh, enthralling. It's never something that's going to catch your attention in a at least so far what I've seen. Uh, storytelling is not the strongest suit for AI. So I think there are uses like background artwork. I've seen some comic book artists use that, uh, but I, I don't think it's fun. That's the main problem that I have with it. It's not fun for me to just throw a prompt because I don't want to see the piece done. I want to do it. It's so, so that's the main problem that I have personally. I don't see the fun and the fun side in it. I don't see the aspect that you're going to take pride in making something like that. I don't know. Is that a good answer? I think, I yeah, I think that makes total sense. And, um, you know, I've used, season. I've used AI and I think, um, you know, for certain things and like, mm -hmm. you know, I think that, it makes sense to me that as a comic book artist, like it's not like you don't need to use AI to create amazing artwork. And it's a lot, of course, like you said, it's not going to be as fun for you just to type in a bunch of prompts yeah. than it is to actually make it. Um, but I know like, like for myself, like I've used AI just to make some fun NFTs, for instance, um, right. you know, goofy things, um, you know, not trying to pass it off as like real artwork or anything like that, but like being very upfront about it. But also I've used it to create uh, reference photos sometimes for my pizza art, like, um, you know, caricatures, things like that of people where I can get different ideas um, for what I might want to produce. Um, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, I think there's some interesting ways to use it. And, um, you know, it's, it's a very hot debate right now, especially amongst yeah. artists. The other technology, which I think has undoubtedly been, uh, huge for digital artists, especially has been NFT. Do you know anything about NFT? Have you, um, looked into it at all? Have you been involved in NFT at all? Very, very superficially, because I, I always like to keep track as much as I'm resistant to it. I like to keep tra uh, tabs on what's going on and what's new and what's not because it, it's not all about me, right? Like the, the art world is going to change. So maybe there's something there to be absorbed. And I think like it's different for everyone. Like that's, that's the, the definition of art for me is like individual expression. So it's not going to be the same for everyone. Like, like I said, like you're using this uh, the artificial intelligence for references or for like a part of your job or something like that. That's that's what uh, this is all about, right? Like it's, we're gonna take different approaches to it. Like people still work with pencil, people are gonna work with uh, something different. So I think uh, there's value in all of that. And when it comes to NFT, I'm I'm sure like a lot of people are are approaching this the same way we approach like uh, art itself, like fine art, like selling uh, a, a portrait of someone or selling like the uniqueness of it. It's what makes it valuable. And I think the, the, the decentralization is always a, a big thing for me. Like uh, as much as you can value the individual stuff, the individual items, the, the individual themselves, that's what it's all about for me. Like if, if you want to take something and make it unique, 
and then someone else's value that that's perfect like that's all that i care about if people see value in that and they want to cherish that and have that for them good for them more power to them like uh, uh and as a professional i've been approached a couple of times to work uh with nfts and i've done some concept artwork for a comic book but i don't know what came of that actually because i only did the concept so i didn't i didn't see the result the end result which was comic book pages it's it's kind of a crazy approach when it comes to comics because it's mass produced so i don't know how that would relate like uh when you pay for a commission it's it's unique and you're getting something unique for from an artist but when it comes to comic book pages themselves like uh we're we're all about mass producing right it's pop art so i think uh nfts probably has a space in it but i don't i wouldn't know for sure what what that would be uh when it comes to comics well, I mean, what I, one of the things I've seen um, different people talk about or, or try to do is um, mm-hmm. is, you know, like, let's say a, a comic company like like a Marvel or like the Ripperverse, which we'll get into mm-hmm. um, in a second, um, could could make, you know, uh, NFTs of your artwork, let's say, let's say a particular page or a particular panel of the comic book as a limited edition collectible digitally. Um, so not mm-hmm. necessarily selling the comic books themselves as NFTs in a mass produced way, but right. like using it as like a perk for collectors or a perk for customers um, to sort of add to the value of, you know, supporting the, um, the, the crowdfunding or things like that or yeah. whatever. I've seen people do that. It's like a fun little perk that people can have. Yeah. And that, that aspect is interesting because you, you talked about like collecting and that's a big aspect of comic books. So not that I, I was talking about like mass producing, but I wasn't thinking about like the collector's aspect of that. And people love that. Like people love the variant covers that they get, like the unique signed copies that they get. So for sure, that's one one way that uh, NFT could influence like uh, the comic book space. That That's for sure. Like I hadn't thought about that before you mentioned it, but those go hand in hand. Like instead of like a physical copy, you get a digital copy that's unique. Uh, I don't know if you've seen, I, I, it's my co-worker, so I can talk a little bit about that. Uh, that. Uh, Eric Weathers has a comic book called Battle Brick Road. And the second uh, issue had like NFTs covers where they, he has uh, a bunch of different characters and they are positioned uh, uniquely depending on the cover that you get. So you get NFTs, you get digital copies that are unique because the covers are never the same. Like the characters are positioned different, differently and drawn differently depending on the issue that you got. So you're buying like something very unique and different. Uh, and it's, it's a comic book. It's a digital comic book. It's very cool, actually. It's very cool. And it's really fun to see how people have uh, tried to figure out different ways to use it because the technology yeah. is so new. It's, you know, it's sort of like the Wild yeah. West right now. And, you know, and yeah. I think for someone like you, Igor, I think also what's what's really cool about it. Now, I'm not a digital artist. I make, you know, I sculpt mm-hmm. stuff out of pizza. You know what I mean? So, uh, so <laughs> it's great. It is, cool, also, it is great for me because I can't sell 
uh, a pizza like you would sell a painting because eventually it'll mm-hmm. decompose, but I can sell a photograph of it as an NFT. So for digital yeah. artists, I think even for you, like if you're creating artwork, just your own artwork, maybe not not a part uh, of, um, you know, um, any of the commissions you have or any of the work you do in comic mm-hmm. books, but just your own art. Being able to sell that as a unique collectible um, uh, digitally is is pretty revolutionary. And I've seen a lot of people it really kind of change how they approach everything they do. Now, of course, if NFTs, one of the reasons I even found out about NFTs is because uh, I follow a lot of libertarian-oriented accounts. Um, and I noticed in your profile that you are uh, the cartoonist for a group called Being Libertarian. Can you explain a little yeah. bit about what Being Libertarian is and how you became associated with them? Uh, so yeah, being libertarians, uh, Facebook it started as a Facebook uh, page and a website, kind of like a newspaper, but online they they wrote articles and stuff like that. But their big thing was like memes. So they would make a ton of memes and they would share them on Facebook, all about like politicians and being libertarian and uh, all the concepts related to it. And uh, I, I always found them funny as hell. So I, I contacted them with a drawing that I had made, which uh, depicted like uh, some, some concepts, but what, in a silly way. And I was like, I wasn't thinking anything of it. Like I was just sharing stuff that I was making on my free time. And they asked if I wanted to come in and do some work for them. And at first I was like really apprehensive, but because... The art world is not as uh, receptive of different, uh, as funny as that might be, the art world is not as receptive for people who think differently or a little bit outside of the norm. And uh, I was really like scared that that would put an end to my career. And uh, I didn't want to do anything like that would catch the attention, uh, maybe drive like uh, traffic my own way and out me as a libertarian or something like that but um, at some point i decided oh to the hell with it and i decided to start making some cartoons and that's actually what opened a lot of doors for me and eric uh july the creator of the the owner of the ripperverse and also, one of the creators of Being Libertarian contacted me that he was opening a, a comic book uh, company because he was tired of the stuff that the big two were putting out and he wanted to make his own stuff. And then I started working with him. So, like, uh, having the courage to, to stop uh, not sharing my stuff was uh, important for me to, to get my current job my current career and make my own stuff uh being libertarian was was a big part of that because they still share the stuff that i've made and uh it catches a lot of eyes because they had like a million people on the facebook page sadly got like deplatformed and uh stro- striked i it, it got like three strikes and then it got uh archived and now i think it's deleted they have a new page with like half of the people that they had before. It's sad because Facebook is not as welcoming to that type of thing, like politi- politics and commentary as as like the left gets. The, the, the left gets it easy, I would say, when it comes to that. 
but uh, yeah, it was really important for my career to work with them. They're, they're a bunch of nice guys just trying to make fun of uh, politics. <laughs> well, there's certainly nothing wrong with making fun of politics. And, I, you know, and I totally get where you're coming from. I struggle with this literally on a daily basis on how much I should even um, give attention to those sorts of things that political type things and things that I'm interested in. But at the same time, you know, as an artist, I'm thinking, well, you know, I, I really want things just to be about the art. And then, you know, it, it, it's especially with social media, it, it really is a constant struggle. And I see a lot of artists struggle with you know, how much to lean into this or that and, and, you know, worried about, you know, um, do I want people to think of me as an artist or as a, someone who's more politically minded or a little of both? Mm -hmm. It's a, it's, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a, a tough tightrope to walk sometimes. So I think that that, you know, yeah. makes, I think a lot of us go through that. And, um, but like, as you said, I mean, doing that work led you to working with Eric July, who of course started the Ripiverse. Um, talk a little bit about what the Ripiverse is for people who don't even know, I've never heard of it or don't know what it is. What is the Ripiverse? Right. Uh, so the Ripiverse is basically an independent company uh, created by a single person. Uh, that is Eric July. He's famous for his YouTube channel, which he has had for like uh, 15 years, if I'm not mistaken. He has been doing that for a long time. He is also like, uh, he's the vocalist for a band called Backwards, which is how I met him, actually, how I first got to know about him. It's a metal core, uh, new metal band or something like that. Uh, and they're really good. Uh, and he's the vocalist for that. He created the Being Libertarian Facebook page with other people. Uh, and he decided one day that he was tired of like the way that comic books were being handled by uh, especially Marvel and DC, but other companies as well. Uh, IDW, Dark Horse, and stuff like that. And uh, he decided to open his own comic book company. So his first comic book was Isom, number one, which is a, a superhero that he released uh, back in 2022, 2021. I'm not, the, the, the timelines are very cloudy. I'm, I've, I've been there a, a year uh, since... No, three years uh, since the, the the company started, and it officially started like uh, I think last year. Yeah, so Isom was released in July 2022, and is the story about a superhero who uh, retired and was brought back into into the job by his, his sister. And he reluctantly went back to the superhero life. And uh, yeah, it's very interesting. It's fun. Uh, it's drawn by, it's not drawn by me. It's drawn by uh, a Bra another Brazilian artist called Cliff Richard, who used to draw Buffy for Dark Horse and a lot of stuff for Marvel and DC. All the artists that we have, are like big names. Uh, we currently have a campaign going on uh, of AlphaCore, which is written by Chuck Dixon uh, and one of the creators of Bane and wrote like Punisher and Nightwing. And the artist for that, for AlphaCore number one is Joe Bennett, who is famous for his run on the Hulk, Immortal Hulk actually, and he has done like a ton of stuff for he's also brazilian we have uh, 
<laughs> a Brazilian artist renaissance going on at the, the Ripperverse, which I'm very happy about. So yeah, we're a small indie company who made like uh, millions, millions of dollars on the three campaigns that we've had so far. Uh, but it's all thanks to Eric July, the creator of the Ripperverse. That's, that's well, yeah. Uh, the, I mean, the, yeah. the the campaigns have been wildly successful, and yeah. for and for people that to really try to, I think, listening to wrap your head around this, um, you know, I, as far as I'm aware, um, you know, the, the the comic book sales are uh, from the Ripperverse of Isom One and Two um, are are in many ways dwarfing a lot of the comic book sales of a lot of these other companies. Um, and there's a huge yeah. demand for it, and uh, it, there's a really loyal fan base for it. Um, I I became aware of Eric um, through through libertarian type channels, hearing him on the Tom Woods show and stuff like that. Um, didn't know he was a musician, which uh, when I first heard him sing, I was shocked. I couldn't believe it was him. Um, and then uh, you know, and then he's uh, I've seen him on um, kind of crossing over into the uh, the YouTube realm and, and found out about his YouTube channel. I saw him on Friday Night Tights a lot and um, uh, working with guys like uh, Gary from Nerdrotic um, mm -hmm. and a lot of those other YouTubers. And he really is like a renaissance man. He does so many different things. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's really inspiring um, just what he's been able to do uh, with this company. What what are the sorts of things now we, we, you've talked about ISOM number one, ISOM number two. What um, and um, some of the work that Chuck Dixon was doing as well. What are some of the other things that uh, the Ripperverse is sort of working on right now that we can look forward to um, coming up in the in the future? Well, so we have a joke about like the NDAs that everyone has signed, so we can tell a lot. But uh, what I can tell you is that uh, we're big, like into finding a way to have animation be a part of like our company. We have recently started working with a bunch of talented uh, animators for the release of AlphaCore. So we had like a two and a half minute trailer of uh, an animation regarding like the story of the AlphaCore, the the team that's behind it, like uh, the characters. Trying not to spoil everything, but like work as a, as complementary material. So people had like a taste of what's to come when they buy the the comic book. And we were all big fans of uh, Bruce Timm's animation, uh, the Batman, and then like Justice League. We all grew up with that. We're we're all uh, in in the Ripperverse, apart from one or two. We're almost all the same age, so we grew up on the same uh, stuff. And uh, we really wanted to have like animation be a part of uh, of the company. So we we're trying our best to find a way to monetize that and make sure that that is a is a healthy part of the company because it's really tricky to find a way to have that make money for you uh in the current day because the books you can sell them but the animation's tricky uh we can't find a way to do that just yet but we're doing it anyway <laughs> and having fun with it and trying to i'm i'm that's that's my passion project inside the company. I, I found the animators and I'm trying to give pointers, even though I'm not an animator in any way. But I'm trying to make sure that we put out like quality work. And uh, yeah, but it, it's it's definitely a, a challenge to find a way to integrate that into the comic book world. But we're gonna have uh, because 
so far we've released uh, graphic novels, so 90 plus pages. Uh, I think Ison 1 has 92 pages and Ison 2 had like 114 or something like that. Those are massive books, so they take time to make and they take time to produce and uh, print and it's storage and everything. So we're trying to move on to having a mixed uh, portfolio of like big graphic novels and then serialize the smaller uh, magazines. But all of that has to to be careful planned because uh, since we're independent, we don't have like outside investors or anything. So it's all about like taking the money from the, the campaigns and reinvesting it into the companies, paying everyone that's involved in it because Eric is big on that, like paying well the the employees that he has, the artists that he commissions. He takes pride in paying more than Marvel and DC pays their artists and paying them on time. So that that everything that comes to that has to be carefully planned that you can take uh, a step that's like, you can put the cart in front of the ox, right? Like that's the expression that we have in Portuguese and I think in English as well. So you have to be careful uh, when it comes to taking financial decisions. So, but yeah, animation and smaller comic books are the plan for the future as well. Do, do you guys have um, a sense of what Marvel and, and, and DC and these sort of the sort of big two companies think or feel about what you guys are doing? Because th th I mean, there's no way that they're unaware of what's going on here. And, um, you know, these are huge multi multi million hundreds of million billion dollar companies, obviously. Um, but I'd be surprised if, um, you know, there, the, that there wasn't some sort of response or some sort of backlash to what you guys are doing coming coming from them has there been any sort of sense of that on your end well i would say yes based on mainly two, two things because one is that we're blocked by most of the writers and editors that work for those companies like i, I i'm always finding someone new that blocked me that i have never interacted with uh so yeah people are paying attention in one way or another if if it if it comes to that, right, like blocking me on, on Twitter. But uh, the other thing that I think it's interesting to note is that uh, I've heard like Mark Millar, he was with uh, Gary from Neurotics on, I don't remember the program, but he was on YouTube with them, with him, AZ and one other person, Mahler, I think. And they were talking about it and he mentioned Eric and he mentioned like that uh, they've talked about it uh, at Marvel about like, how comic books can be profitable because you can pay your artists good money and have them like even uh, Millar's work as well. Like a big game is selling a bunch of comics right now. Like he's ending it at number five. But I think he paid uh Pepularaz, the artist uh, uh, like twice the rate that marvel plays if i'm not mistaken and uh he has like profited from that so it's it's clear that there is a demand for comics and i think the big companies have a, a harder time at uh changing course like it's hard to pivot when you're big so i think that's a big part of it 
And I think the other part is that a lot of people who are involved in production of those comics are not interested in comics by themselves. Like they are not writers that are they are interested in making comics. They are just using it as a platform to sell their ideas or to showcase what they can do so they can go to be a writer for a, a TV show or a movie or something like that. Because I don't think that the, their passion is in comics. It's just a platform for them. And uh, But I'm sure that everyone's aware. Because uh, for comparison, like you talked about uh, outselling other comics, we're, we compare ourselves to graphic novels, right? So we're always aware of what uh, graphic novels sold uh the the current year so we have a gauge like we can better gauge uh what our product is doing how much uh we're moving how much we should print everything that goes into that and i someone made 3.6 million dollars if i'm not mistaken so that's twice what the second graphic novel made that year if i'm not mistaken so there's no way people are not paying attention to that uh money talks and people pay attention to that they should pay attention to that because that's that's how you know what the customers want right um but yeah being blocked by a lot of people made me made me realize that uh, marvel is paying attention for sure you know a lot of us have seen what has happened to to ips like star wars when you know george lucas is no longer involved and and a lot of people could you can even say for marvel when when stan lee after he sort of departed and wasn't really involved anymore what's kind of happened there as well um talk about how how important is it to have someone like eric sort of at the helm sort of a, a creative visionary um having that one person sort of lead the project how how important do you think that is to the success of of any creative venture really i think it's insurmountable like the importance of that it's like it's really hard to put into words because there there is like a a passion that has to be involved like i like i was talking about like the writers that are involved with the current ips they don't care about like the ips themselves they care more about their careers and that that makes all the difference because Everyone that works with, works with me at the Ripperverse, I'm not saying that like just to say, uh, they all love the projects that they're involved in. And we're always finding ways to do something new. We're always looking for ways that we can fit our skills because uh, Eric is not a micromanager. So uh, Chuck Dixon was talking about uh, during an interview how he loved working with, with Eric. And I'm sure he, he wasn't like just praising him for nothing because I've worked with the guy for like three years already almost and he never micromanages he, he trusts my skills he comes in he gives feedback to what he thinks it's worth giving and then he leaves me like the the, the stuff that we put out like we're, we're in synchronicity but he's not coming back managing everyone he can't even do that because he has like a lot of stuff going on so he doesn't have time to to micromanage he's putting people that he trusts into the capacities that he needs and then he's leaving to do something else to create new characters to write uh isom 3 which is coming out next year and uh yeah that that's what he does so he has the passion and he knows like how to identify people that 
are passionate about the stuff that he's uh, making, and he's that that that's what I think is the most impressive uh, skill that Eric has is the ability to choose people who he thinks are gonna be valuable to the team. Because everyone that I've met, because at first I was working alone, I was the illustrator and was making like uh, shirts and stuff like that before the company released, uh, was out uh, putting comic books out. And then I met my coworkers who are now working with me for the past uh, two years. Uh, and they were all like-minded in, in the sense that not like politically or anything, because Eric doesn't care about that, but like, like-minded when it comes to the project, like we had a goal, we wanted to put something good out and we were trying our best to find ways to use those skills. And, uh, that's what I think is the most valuable thing. He loves the project and he wants to find people who are engaged in the same way that he is. Like, uh, those are the, the two skills that I think are missing in stuff like Star Wars and stuff like Indiana Jones and other other IPs that are much larger than what we have at the Ripperverse. Well, I can't wait to see what you guys do. I'm very excited about the uh, the animation um, that, that might be coming in the future. And uh, I think it's really great what you guys are doing. It sounds like a really great... Um, place to work and uh it sounds like a really fun experience even though i'm i know there's a lot of pressure and i know it's a lot of a lot of hard work but uh, it seems really rewarding igor thank you so much for joining me please let everybody know um how they can follow you and uh where they can learn more about the ripperverse yeah so uh you can follow me on instagram or twitter uh just search igor shakal the c-h-a-k-a-l you're gonna find me uh and uh you can check the ripperverse at uh ripperverse.com we currently have uh, an alpha core campaign going on it's gonna go all the way through january and uh, i'm sure people won't be disappointed to buy that because it's chuck dixon and joe bennett and the artwork is amazing uh you can buy just a copy or two it's an awesome christmas gift so i would buy that to give to other people because people are gonna love that and you don't have to read isom one and two uh to check that out but you can uh Everything is on our website. We run it ourselves. So it's all homemade. <laughs> it's all independent. And people should check that out because it's worth the time and the money. Igor, thanks again for joining me. And I will talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, guys. This is the Just Listening Podcast. I got to go. Go where? We just got I got that thing. I got to go. With pizza artist Eric John. Uh, wait a couple of minutes. We'll all leave together. Okay? This way you don't go out like a bunch of hobos staggering out one at a time. Please like, share, and subscribe.